I need to start today by telling you the story of a pastor who is a much better preacher than I am. His name was S.M. Lockridge. His, his actual birth name is Shadrach, Shadrach Meshach Lockridge. It's an unbelievable name. Like, how could you not succeed in life and in ministry without, with a, like, how could you fail with a name Shadrach Meshach Lockridge? He was the pastor of Calvary Baptist Church in San Diego, California for 40 years, from 1953 to 1993. And he preached some truly great sermons, some of the truly great sermons of the 20th century. I want to play an excerpt from one of his sermons called, It's Friday, but Sunday's coming. So I think we've got this up and are able to show it. It's Friday. Jesus is praying. Peter's asleep. Judas is betrayed. But Sunday's coming. It's Friday. Pilate's struggling. The council is conspiring. The crowd is vilified. They don't even know that Sunday's coming. It's Friday. The disciples are running like sheep without a shepherd. Mary's crying. Peter is denied. But they don't know that Sunday's are coming. It's Friday. The Romans beat my Jesus. They robe him in scar. They crown him with thorns. But they don't know that Sunday's coming. It's Friday. See Jesus walking to Calvary. His blood dripping. His body stumbling. And his spirits burning. But you see, it's only Friday. Sunday's coming. It's Friday. The world's winning. People are sinning. And evil's grinning. It's right. The soldiers nailed my Savior's hands to the cross. They nailed my Savior's feet to the cross. And then they raised him up next to criminals. It's Friday. But let me tell you something. Sunday's coming. It's Friday. The disciples are questioning what has happened to their king. And the Pharisees are celebrating that their scheming has been achieved. But they don't know. It's only Friday. Sunday's coming. It's Friday. He's hanging on the cross, feeling forsaken by his father, left alone and dumb. Can nobody save him? Oh, it's Friday, but Sunday's coming. It's Friday, the earth trembles, the sky grows dark, my king yields his spirit. It's Friday, hope is lost, death has won, sin has come, and Satan's just a laugh. It's Friday, Jesus is there, a soldier stands guard, 
and a rock is rolled into place. But it's fried. It is only fried. Sunday is a coming.
But when they went in, they didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. Jesus had been crucified on Friday afternoon. Our calendar and our days work like this. Like a day is from 12 a.m. to 11.59 p.m. In first century Jewish culture, and I believe even to today, the day ends and begins based on sunrise. And, or excuse me, on sunset, okay? And so Jesus is crucified and killed on Friday afternoon. In Jewish culture, that's day one. He's put in, the, uh, he's put in this tomb. He's there all day Saturday. That's Jewish day two. And then at sunrise on day three, Jewish day three, he rises from uh, the dead. And so they go in. They don't find the body of the Lord Jesus. Verse four. Now, while they're perplexed about this, behold, two men stood before them, stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He's not here, but he's risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and then on the third day rise. And they remembered his words, verse 9. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to, the, uh, and to all the rest. Now, it was Mary Magdalene, this is who they were, it was Mary Magdalene, and a woman named Joanna, and Mary, the mother of James, and the other, uh, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to be to them an idle tale, and they didn't believe them. The disciples didn't even believe these women. It was so unbelievable what happened. They were stuck emotionally and spiritually on Friday. And yet here it was Sunday morning, verse 12. But Peter rose and he ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves and he went home, marveling at what had happened. The ladies are heartbroken. The disciples abandoned Jesus at the cross, out of the picture, watching from a distance. I mean, literally, like, you know, I, I've been in enough churches that would have the disciples kind of in stained glass, where I've seen the pictures of these disciples with these sort of halos and lights around their head. Like they were such powerful, amazing men of character. Listen, they all split. They all split. Like at the cross, there's one disciple, John, kind of standing sheepishly from a distance. He's the youngest of all the 12. And then it's just women who follow Jesus and weren't just knowing the disciples. And they're there uh, with him. The disciples abandoned him in his moment of deepest needs. These ladies watched him die. A couple of secret disciples helped bury him, and one even donated uh, a tomb, a new tomb. There's a guy named Nicodemus who we read about in John 3 who helped, and then there's another guy named Joseph of Arimathea who's kind of a religious insider who secretly followed Jesus, didn't follow him publicly because that would have cost him culturally. These two guys helped him get buried, helped bury him, and Joseph even gave the tomb for him to be put in. And then uh, these ladies are going alone that morning to anoint Jesus' dead body with spices, and in their heart, it's totally Friday. And in a total shocker, however, they found it was now Sunday. Resurrection had occurred, and Jesus was alive, and Friday's sadness gave way to Sunday's joy. And maybe you feel that today. Like, you feel like it's Friday, and Sunday is coming. And if you do, I want to tell you Sunday's here. But I will tell you also, the bigger issue I think that probably faces most of us is um, the, the bigger issue that probably a lot of us, because I would assume the majority of us today are convinced that Jesus rose from the dead. Um, and, for, and for those of you, probably the bigger conundrum today is to know that it's Sunday. 
it's Easter Sunday, but Monday has come. Like, that to me is the thing. Like, does this work Monday through Saturday? Or is it just something we do on Sunday? Um, Easter's victory for all of us is going to give way to Monday's alarm clock in just a few short hours and deadlines and to-do lists. Easter's lunch feast. We're having a ham at my house. My wife has, in 17 years of marriage, never cooked a ham. She's very excited. She's <laughs> cooking a ham today. Easter's lunch feast is going to give way to Monday's peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Uh, Easter's celebration gives way to Monday's grind. Easter's new pastel outfits give way to Monday's wrinkled, unexciting, older duds. Easter's confidence can give way to Monday's uncertainty. Easter's egg hunts lead to Monday's candy hangover. How many of you are candy junkies? Like, you might have some stuffed candy right now in your pockets. I get it. I am too. Easter's single-minded devotion to Christ gives way to Monday's fight for survival in a secular city. Easter's photos with family and friends give way to Monday's feelings of loneliness. Easter's faith, as much as we hate to admit it, can give way to Monday's doubt in the midst of Monday's realities. Does this work on Monday? If you're here today examining the evidence camp, beware the Easter Christian who isn't a little bittersweet that Monday is coming. If you're here today and you're watching the evidence, you're watching what we've shared in the scripture, or you're listening to the message, but you're watching other people, beware the Easter Christian who isn't a little bittersweet that Monday is coming. Think about those first followers that Resurrection Sunday. There's Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Joanna. And they met an angel who told them Jesus was risen. This was a 24-hour period. All this stuff goes on. They get to go tell the disciples that Jesus was dead and is now alive. Then Mary Magdalene, who came to a relationship with Christ after he cast a bunch of demons out of her months earlier, is the first to see the resurrected Christ. And then Peter and John, they go and they see the empty tomb. That evening, there's a guy named Cleopas and his wife. We don't get her name, but they're walking down a highway, and literally Jesus begins to walk with them. And for the next few hours, they get to have the most incredible Bible study and Q&A as they literally get to hang with Jesus. They don't even realize it's him. He is unpacking the Bible for them left and right and telling them that everything that has just happened had to happen and then really late that night, Jesus appears to all the disciples, and he validates the rumors of his resurrection by letting them touch his scars and hug him. No COVID elbow bumps there, like big hugs for Jesus. And he answers their questions, and he even eats with them. And there's a rumor that has flown around for 2,000 years that maybe it was just a ghost that Jesus wasn't bodily resurrected. When they ate dinner with Jesus that night and then over and over over the next 40 days, because these guys were fishermen by trade, he eats fish with them. And I've had enough southern fish fries in my life with my grandma with fish fries and hush puppies to know that you've got to be careful eating fish because you may swallow a bone. I can hear my grandmother, Harriet Sanders, to this day telling me to slow down on the fried fish. Jesus that night ate fish, the resurrected Jesus, where there would literally be bones after he after he ate, like almost as like exhibit A, that he really was who he said he was and did what he said he'd do. But you know what happened the day after Resurrection Sunday? I went to check this week. I wasn't sure. I had a hunch, but I wasn't sure. You know what happened on Monday? We had no idea. No idea. 
We don't know if these guys went back to work, if these ladies went back to work. There's no documented Bible stories of on Monday after Easter, this happened. The scriptures don't tell us. We know that over the next 40 days, Jesus did some really incredible things uh, before leaving earth. But on that next day, it was just a Monday for those earliest followers of Christ. An unrecorded, maybe uneventful Monday. It's Sunday, but Monday is coming. And that leads to the main point today. If the power of Easter Sunday makes no difference on Monday, then is there any point to it? And I want to tell you, it does, and there is. And I want to tell you three ways that I think the resurrection on Sunday makes a difference on our Monday. I'm going to go through them because I know a few of you are meticulous note-takers, always proud of Juliana, always comes to church with a paper and pen, always taking notes. Uh, here's the thing. I am a witness to the resurrection. I am a recipient of the resurrection. And I am a participant in the resurrection of Jesus, the most momentous thing that ever happened in history. I'll go through them slowly. One, I am a witness to the resurrection. I'm a witness to a witness is merely someone who saw something. This week, we've seen people talking about seeing something that was truly unjust. And they're trying to make it right. When I think about a witness, I think about 2005, Nike, and the LeBron James We Are Witnesses campaign. Do you remember that? Like, I can still... Think of that billboard of LeBron James with arms outstretched, like we are witnesses. Nike put that idea on billboards and t-shirts and everything in between because LeBron was so unique and nobody had ever seen anything like that. Like in the argument between is who's the greatest of all time, Michael Jordan or LeBron, it doesn't matter because they're so singularly great and unique that there never has been one like them and there never will be another one like them. And Nike knew it. And so they came out with this campaign saying, we are witnesses to what we to what is happening through this young man at the time. If we're here today celebrating the fact of Jesus' resurrection, you are a witness. In fact, some are here examining the evidence of Jesus' resurrection. And you, if you are convinced, maybe exhibit A to the people who are trying to figure this out. I believe that statement with all my being that Jesus rose from the dead. And people ask me, I have an atheist right here in town who I dearly love. And he asked me all the time, he goes, do you really believe Jesus rose from the dead? And I'm like, yeah, I actually do. In fact, if it's not true, then I'm an idiot. I'm a complete idiot, and there's no point in any of this. But here's seven reasons, don't try to write them down, why you can believe that Jesus rose from the dead. One, he said he would do it repeatedly. Jesus said repeatedly, he would rise from the dead. Two, uh, the disciples died for it. Judas betrayed uh, Jesus, and in his anguish and sort of rem unrepentant remorse, committed suicide. Ten disciples were killed from Africa to the Middle East, to the Far East, to Europe, uh, testifying to the faith. People don't die for a lie. And then one uh, lived to old age, pastoring, started churches, and being exiled and persecuted for his faith. Three, if you go to Jerusalem today, you will not find a body. This is very different from the heads of every other major world religion and every other great person in history. There is no venerated burial spot where you will find the body of Christ. Four, Jesus' resurrection upended a segment of first century Jewish and Roman society, including the day of worship. Up until this point, uh, Jews worshiped on Saturday, and to this day, Jews worship on Saturday. That Jewish people 
who followed Jesus, believing he was the master, were able to culturally change the day of worship is really mind-boggling. If we wrap our mind around it, they changed the temple theology and they changed the sacrificial system. Fifth reason, brilliant, good, and godly people, men and women, people from all continents and every century, some who profoundly shaped our world, believed and lived in the resurrection of Jesus. Uh, that's probably the most comforting thing to me, by the way, about whether or not I can trust that Christ rose from the dead, is there are smarter men and women from all continents and all ages who have believed this well to the death. Six, the gospel stories are so obviously unfabricated that we read them hopefully and say, well, this is illogical, but it's also inconceivable. It's clearly not mythologized. It actually makes sense. And then finally, Jesus' resurrection is literally built into our cultural mythology. Our stories and movies where hope is lost until the unbelievable and impossible happens are an echo of the empty tomb. We hear that echo at the end of every single Hallmark movie that my wife has ever made me watch. Like, and that's a lot of them. Like, basically, Christmas and Hallmark, whatever it's called, starts like August 15th or something like that. And for four months, there's Hallmark movies. And every movie, every single one of them, there's a relationship that's dead in the last 20 minutes. The star is despairing. And only a miracle can save the day. And then a miracle occurs. It's in kids' movies ranging from Finding Nemo to The Iron Giant, from Beauty and the Beast to Lion King. It's in The Lord of the Rings, The Chronicles of Narnia, The Avengers Endgame, so many of the Avengers superhero movies, and on and on. I am a witness. Jesus rose from the dead. I've studied it at a hundred different angles. And I've even like feared it wouldn't be true. And every single time I examine it, I find the evidence overwhelming and compelling. Jesus rose from the dead. On your Mondays, you can bear witness to Jesus' resurrection. Second thing, I'm a recipient of the most momentous thing in history. I made a long list this week of everything we received from Jesus' resurrection. But one great thing that we receive as followers of Christ is freedom. First, we receive freedom from sin. On the cross, Jesus took on humanity's sin. But had he stayed dead in the grave, our hope would have been buried with him. Uh, Easter, however, gives freedom from sin's penalty. Jesus paid the penalty for sin, and it gives freedom from sin's power. We want freedom from sin's penalty. Nobody wants to sit under penalty for sin. Like, I don't want to stand before God and have to play this game where my good deeds have got to outweigh my bad deeds. That would just cause me complete anxiety in this life. We want freedom from sin's penalty, but we forget we also have freedom from sin's power. The resurrection gives us freedom from sin's power. Sadly, we still sin, but in Christ, we don't have to sin. Sin is not our master. Jesus is. Jesus won the war over Satan and sin and death. I fight, and you, Christian, fight for victory from his victory. We fight for victory from victory. That gives hope on Monday. As you go into your Monday, you go in freedom. Not as religious slaves that people carry this crazy weight. And by the way, this is true regardless of your feelings. There are times you may not feel forgiven, but you are in fact forgiven and free in Christ. So when your feelings condemn you on Monday, you declare Sunday's resurrection victory. When your feelings tempt you on Monday, you claim Sunday's resurrection power. When feelings tell you you will never rise above and conquer sin, you believe Sunday's resurrection power wasn't Jesus's, but it's yours in Christ. And Jesus has already conquered your sin. Regardless of what you felt, feel, or will feel, 
Christ has risen and you have freedom. So we're witnesses, we're recipients, and then finally we're participants in the most momentous thing in human history. Everything we said at this point, by the way, can be totally internalized. You can be a witness to the resurrection of Jesus and no one ever has to know. You can be a participant, and a recipient in the resurrection of Jesus and literally no one ever has to know. Totally keep that quiet. You cannot keep quiet that you are a participant in the momentous thing in human history. Jesus does not offer us that option. A great way to have Sunday faith worth living on Monday is to become an active participant in God's rescue mission for all of humanity. Forty days after Resurrection Sunday, Jesus gave marching orders to his disciples. In Matthew 28, he said, go and make disciples everywhere of all people. Go make disciples everywhere of all people. In Acts 1, Luke recounts the same thing Matthew did, but from a different perspective. And he says, Jesus said, hey, start here in our hometown. Kind of like start here in Charlestown. Start here in Boston. And go all the way to the ends of the earth, sharing the gospel, making disciples. Jesus, the Son of God, did not leave heaven, come to this old, stinky, sinful earth, leave, leave, uh, live a poor and marginalized life for 33 years, get beaten and die naked on a cross, get buried in a borrowed tomb, rise three days later to create churchy people. He just didn't do it. He didn't come to create churchy people. You ever meet with a churchy person? Yeah, a lot of you are kind of laughing. It kind of like, it's like the, it's like they smell like mothballs. You know, it's just that like, churchy people have a, have a smell to them. God bless them. I don't want to be a churchy people. I don't want you to be a churchy people. And Jesus did not die and rise from the dead. So we can be religious, churchy people. Jesus died and rose from the dead so we can have a living and vibrant relationship with him that enters into him turning history upside down, or even better, right side up. And so Jesus came to set our hearts on fire, make us new, and join him as he catapults us out into the greatest search and rescue mission of all time. On August 5th, 2010, I can remember this like it was yesterday. It was 11 years ago. It's crazy. The San Jose copper mine in Chile collapsed, trapping 33 miners in it. You guys remember watching this? Uh, I totally remember these. 33 men trapped in darkness. The world and their relatives, like, feared that they were dead, all hope was lost, the depth of the mine, the lack of food and water, and the absence of any signs of life. Do you remember at first, like, there was no sign that there was anybody alive in there. Everything was pointing to a really, really sad ending. But then they detected signs of life. I can't remember what the gap was before they found that those guys may have been living in there, and they came up with this ridiculous rescue plan. I, I remember watching on the news, and they were saying, oh, this is how we're going to do this. And I, I just thought, there's no way that's going to work. Like, did you guys think that? Do you remember that? I just thought, they're going to get down there. They're going to kill these guys on the way down. There's no way this is going to work. Uh, but starting from the surface in broad daylight, they began to drill uh, this really narrow hole down into the darkness. And after meticulous planning and with great risk, this rescue capsule that they created called the Phoenix was sent to the depths to rescue 33 men. And one by one, I remember watching it on NBC that night. One by one, each of those men stepped into the rescue capsule, and it was delivered to the surface to shouts of jubilation and joy. They were feared dead, but every man was saved and alive and well. After meticulous planning, aware of the risks, God launched an audacious rescue attempt. 
like miners rising from beneath the ground alive. Today we celebrate a Savior who rose from death, conquering death, trampling death, making the way for humanity to be rescued from the spiritual depths of our sinfulness and our brokenness so that we can now come up into the light in relationship with God and Christ. For many, life can seem dark and without hope. I want to tell you, as Nick often says, Jesus is our rescuer. Man, he is our rescuer. He rescues the evidence examiner who turns to him in faith, and he rescues the, has rescued the convinced who are here celebrating, and he has invited you into his rescue mission. Every day you go to work or school, every relationship, every interaction, every dollar that you ever give to a church or to help someone, every bold and strategic move to love Charlestown and beyond that this church makes, it ought to be as a participant in Christ's rescue mission. It's Sunday, but Monday's coming. So as we wind it down, we have a couple options. I'm going to give them to you real fast. And I'm going to pray. Option one, you can become churchy or religious. I don't know you very, some of you don't know, some of you know really well. This could go, by the way, one of two ways. Option one is you could leave here and become churchy or religious. One, you could be a Protestant version, because that's we're not a Catholic church. I don't know if some of you didn't know that, but if that's a newsflash for somebody, we're not a Catholic church. So you could become a Protestant version of what my Catholic friends informed me was called a Cape Catholic when we first moved here. This is a Catholic who goes to Mass on Christmas, Ash Wednesday, Palm Sunday, and Easter. They were like, hey, it's Cape, it's Cape Catholic. Um, where I grew up, they just called them Christers or CEO Christians, Christmas and Easter only. Like, if you want, you can become a religious whatever and come a couple of times a year, and I will celebrate you being here, and I will love you so much and pray for you and serve you however I can. Option two, you can become churchy or religious and come back week after week, but be unchanged. And this is why I made the mothball joke. Because religious people, they just come to church over and over, and they're unchanged. And that's really sad. It's sad to be that close and miss relationship with God by maybe just a few inches, the, the gap between our head and our heart. Like, when you do that, you've got this Jesus who, like, I call, like, Buddy Christ, where he's like, do whatever you want, or, like, fill in the blank Jesus where he's more about my cause or my thing than asking us to conform to him, his image. Um, this little plastic Jesus is not the real thing. Don't believe in a sweet, chummy, universal, watered-down Jesus. He may make you feel better on Sunday, but he has no power to offer you, offer you real hope on Monday. If Jesus of Sunday and Jesus of Easter can't offer you hope on Monday, don't offer That's option two, though. Don't ask Jesus to come to you, my advice to you, on your terms. Come to him on his terms. That leads us to option three. Give all that you are in total self-abandon to surrender to King Jesus. Give all that you are and total self-abandonment to surrender to King Jesus. Don't just believe. Recklessly give yourself to the death-conquering, sin-crushing, hope-giving, dead-raising, victorious King of the universe. Boldly and humbly bear witness to what God has done in your life. Joyfully and undeservedly receive his freedom. Unashamedly and unreservedly participate in his great rescue mission to share the gospel with every man, woman, boy, and girl and the 02129 zip code in greater Boston and to the ends of the earth. Christ is risen. It is Sunday, but Monday's coming. What difference does it make? It makes all the difference. It changes everything. What difference does it make in your life? That's the question. That's the question. And it becomes, at that point, up to you what you do. Let me pray for you.
Jesus, we've heard your word. I pray that I've explained it clearly, God. I pray that we understand that um, if a faith is only worth one Sunday or a couple Sundays a year, or even if it's only worth 52 Sundays, but it doesn't carry us into Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday with hope, then it's not really worth anything. So, Father, I pray right now that you would be speaking to our hearts. Lord, maybe some of us are here and we're like, ugh, I want to be all in. I'm not trying to sign up to be churchy. I'm not trying to even act like I know all the answers. But today, as best I know how, I want to turn from my set of my self-rule, and I want to ask God to begin to give me a relationship with him through Christ, through Christ's death and resurrection. If that's you, like in the privacy of your heart, I would never want to single you out or embarrass you. I want to invite you just to, in the quietness of your heart, uh, and there's no magic formulas. It's in Hogwarts. We're not like giving you magic blowing incantations so you can become spiritual or churchy. But in the privacy of your heart, I want to invite you maybe to breath out a prayer to God and say something like, Dear Jesus, I know I'm a sinner, and I know I've lived trying to be in control of my life. Maybe I've been religious, maybe I haven't, but today, as best I can, I'm turning to you. ask you to forgive me, come into my life, and I'm all yours. I'm all yours. I'm in. And the scriptures tell us that when we confess that with our hearts, we, we confess with our mouth and believe it in our hearts that God raised Christ from the dead and we are ushered into his family. And so if you prayed that, man, I want to invite you in just a moment to follow up and do something that's equally private, but um, hopefully equally sincere. For the rest of us who are here today um, celebrating resurrection, Lord, would you let us not just be witnesses to it and recipients of it, but participants in it. And God, with our faith tomorrow on Monday, and even with our faith next Sunday on April 11th, would it be just as authentic and true and powerful as it is today? Lord, we love you. We ask you to meet us in our point of deepest hope, in our point of deepest need. And we thank you that when our hearts are stuck at Friday, you meet us, and it's Sunday, and when our hearts are in Sunday, and we want Monday to be just as powerful, we thank you for the truth.